Montel here, and thank you for joining us for another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so happy to have the guests that we have on today to really give some information and share some information about hemp and the hemp business and cannabis in general. And remember, the reason why we do Let's Be Blunt with Montel is so that we can bring you information to help you navigate this space as you try to enter into a healthier lifestyle. And today, we're so happy to have the co-founder and president of WAFBA, We Are For Better Alternatives, that's the name of the company, a family company which includes the annual Hemp Expo, the Northern Colorado Hemp Expo, and hemp-centric conferences and trade show. Educator, advocator, and facilitator for the benefits of hemp and cannabis in manufacturing and nutrition. He also is the co-host of Let's Talk Hemp and the 422, a monthly podcast that focuses on the evolving hemp industry and its impact on society and the planet. Please welcome Mr. Morris Beagle. Thank you so much, Morris, for being here. Thank you, Montel, for having me. I appreciate it. And so your company is in Denver, Colorado? Uh, actually, we're in Fort Collins, Colorado. Fort Collins. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, this is really interesting, and I, I I really love getting the background on on you know what businesses you have been in in the past. But you spent 25 years working in the music industry before you entered the cannabis industry. Is that right? That is correct. From basically the almost the mid to mid to late 80s uh, up until about 2010-2011. And what did you do? What did you do in the music industry? So originally, I actually uh, I started school at Colorado State University, and then I transferred to Atlanta and went to school at a place called the Music Business Institute, which was a music business trade school covering virtually all aspects of the industry at that time. And when I graduated, recording, there, promotion, all those things. Yep, recording, promotion, production, copyright law, uh, music licensing, management, really the whole gamut. And I went to work for a large music and video distributor called The Handelman Company, who placed product in Kmart and Walmart and Sears and Montgomery Wards and all these big box retailers. So they were called what they were called a rack jobber. So they were a big wholesaler taking care of these big box accounts. And I was a, a rep and then took over their West Coast operation, West Coast retail operations from like 91 to 95 before venturing out on my own and moving back to Colorado and starting Happy Scratch Records, which was like a one-stop shop doing studio production, CD and DVD manufacturing and printing, merchandise, shows, merchandise, uh, I already said merchandise, um, licensing, basically everything that needs to be done from like an independent artist and independent label standpoint. Are you a musician yourself? Yeah, I play guitar. Okay, go ahead. Good. And my brother is so a world-class guitar player. So in the scope of guitar players, there's like really good. And then there's kind of the, the hobbyist guys that are pretty good. And that's where I kind of throw myself in. I wish I had the okay. time to be like a full-time musician. But uh, unfortunately, I've got too many irons in the fire to do that. How did you transition from music to cannabis? So being out here in Colorado, um, one thing, when I moved back to Colorado in 95, I became friends with a, a gal who owned a store called the, the Hemper Wears No Clothes. And it was a hemp store where I got familiar with hemp, the other side of cannabis. I was already a cannabis user from a recreational standpoint. And then I found out kind of the history of hemp with, you know, from thousands of years ago and up through colonial times and how we used it uh, over the course of time as, as humanity. 
uh, through a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Hare. And so at that point, I really kind of got familiar with it and didn't do a whole lot other than I ran some merchandise for bands and labels and stuff that were on hemp shirts and hemp hats back in the late 90s. Um, but as the music business started to transition with the digital world, here came Napster and MP3.com. And that was really the wave that killed physical media, which was a big part of my business doing CDs and DVDs and physical manufacturing and physical distribution. And in this digital movement, the internet really decimated that business. And and it's like, how do you make money anymore in this industry uh, with this transition to digital? And a lot of people basically went out of business. I mean, as you know, you you probably saw all these record stores go out of business and, and there just wasn't anything left. And it's and in Colorado, we started this medical marijuana program, I think, back in 2001. And then in 2009, it kicked into high gear where we started opening up dispensaries all over the place. And it, and then in 2012, we introduced legislation to tax and regulate marijuana like alcohol with Amendment 64. And within that legislation, there was a clause for Colorado farmers to start growing industrial hemp. And I'm like, ah, hemp. I remember doing the hemp shirts and hats, and I could see this as becoming, you know, something that could significantly change the paradigm for the whole cannabis scene and for agriculture and and kind of a new direction for humanity. And we fired up a, a company called Colorado Hemp Company in 2012 and started doing T-shirts and hats and various textile goods like wallets and bags and and beanies and shoes and, and repping these to stores. And then I found a hemp paper company that I started sourcing from them and doing hemp paper products like business cards and posters and and then we started launching events. We launched NoCo Hemp Expo in 2014, which we just did our sixth annual back in March. And it's grown from 350 people to 10,000 plus people in six shows. And and we're pretty excited about the direction of this industry right now. I mean, it's really, really interesting the fact that you got involved in this long before this was Vogue, long before you know all these people jumped on the bandwagon. So it's very interesting to, to hear what's your perspective on this not just the growth, but the fact that, you know, you laid the groundwork for what a lot of people have jumped into an industry to try to turn into, you know, their own uh, uh, new industry, which is not a new industry. So what do, you, what do you think about that? Well, it's kind of funny hearing that come from you because you were out there advocating for medical marijuana long before it was in vogue as well. So absolutely. first off, thank you for, for your advocacy and your activism and, and bringing this to the public because cannabis is medicine and it can truly transform a person's health, as you well know. And not only that, it can also, from an industrial standpoint and nutritional standpoint, transform our personal health and our planetary health. And getting in when I did, and at 2012, and yeah, I was in it before it was in vogue, but there's been plenty of people who've been in it for decades. And, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of people who were there long before myself. So I definitely give props to all of them. But it was, you know, I feel fortunate to have got in at the right time and to be able to have a skill set that I took from the music and entertainment industry as a promoter, um, a promoter of indie music and and independent musicians. And now I'm a promoter of the plant and the planet. And I think that this crop 
provide so many opportunities for so many different industries and so many different people from different industries to get in. Um, I just feel fortunate to have been in the right place at the right time. And hopefully what we're doing and what others are doing will continue to facilitate an industry that can truly transform our planet. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the fact that a lot of people aren't aware of all of the usages of hemp. And it's very interesting that you have created a hemp-based guitar company. Explain that. So hemp can do a lot of things. You can build houses with it. You can make bioplastics and composites with it. You can eat it eat it for food, the hemp seeds and the protein powder, very nutritious. But when it comes to the guitars, so there's a, a company that was doing some prototype stuff out of Canada back in 2014, 2015 that I came across. And they were just trying to get their product going. And coming from the music industry and being a, a guitar player um, and having you know, a career in the industry, it's like, wow, it would be really cool to eventually launch my own brand of guitars and guitar cabinets using a hemp wood, like a, a hemp uh, based particle board, which we have also come across and are doing now. But so the, the hemp guitars really, it's the necks are still wood, everything that part and the headstock still wood, but the body itself is a hemp composite that's wrapped around what was a wood core, but now it's going to be a, a hemp board core. And it's, it's just like a composite guitar and it we're doing SG type models, Telecaster type models, and we're going to be doing several other kind of popular models, which fortunately those aren't uh trademarked or patented. You can, you can do guitar bodies that are, have been done for years and years and years. Get to, you know, there's a zillion guitar companies out there that do these type of bodies, but these guitars are really cool. They sound great. You can load them up with whatever type of pickups and hardware that you want. And so right now we're just finalizing the the supply chain of this and being able to to scale up so we can produce these on a you know on more volume, so to speak. Because does, do does, does, does it have a unique tone? Does it have a unique tone or does it have a unique resonance? Not, I mean, I haven't compared these through a, a whole bunch of different amps side by side with, let's say, a Gibson SG or uh, Fender Telecaster or, or that. So I, there's still work to be done on that. But if you plug it into a regular amp and play through, I mean, the pickups are the main things. The body himself, right. from a resonance standpoint, I can't tell any difference. I've got a 1970 SG Junior, and I can plug it in side by side with my silver mountain sg and there is very very little tonal difference same pickup um and it sounds great oh that's unbelievable and uh, is the response from you know guitar enthusiasts the same at this point we're really still just getting these things launched it's been a challenge to get the supply chain in in place. That's the problem with the industry at this point is being able to produce this type of stuff in volume. What's driven the industry the last several years is the whole CBD market. You know, all of a sudden CBD, 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 and that's where the people are growing for and processing for. And in this fiber side of things, it's been done in in China, it's been done in Europe, but over here in the U.S., we're still lacking technology and, and people growing for it and processing. 
Um, but that's coming. This CBD craze is going to calm down. It's going to level out. It's going to be normalized. CBD will be like vitamin C. It's going to be in... Especially since we know that CBD by itself isn't the, the holy grail. And finally, people are starting to recognize the fact that, you know, it's a broader spectrum of cannabinoids that actually would uh, benefit as much as the CBD by itself. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm not advocating for CBD isolate here. It's just, you know, CBD is all over the media right now. And and, you know, it's certainly opened up the door for the hemp industry. And, and I think once consumers become familiar with, hey, you can make T-shirts out of this, you can build houses out of that. We can make, when you say build houses, houses, you can literally make bricks, bricks that's, that will last hundreds of years. Exactly. And from a, a climate standpoint, our building industry and construction industry, not only domestically, but across the world, really contributes significantly to climate change. And if we use more bio-based materials and we can grow it locally and we don't have to ship stuff halfway around the world, that in itself will have a very positive carbon contribution to our to our society. And people are, I know there's a lot of people who aren't even aware of the fact that, you know, we found out in the last 15 years that, you know, cellulose material from hemp fiber is a, a, a better electric kind of, uh, filament for batteries, even better than uh, some of the graphite that's been used in the past. I remember in the last two years, there's been $2 billion publicly traded companies formed around utilizing hemp uh, fiber for uh, the filament in a battery rather than using graphite. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, the hemp battery component for storage, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. And right. because this plant has been illegal for so long, for 80 years here in the United States, um, we have not put in the R&D to see really what can be done with this. And I think now that the Farm Bill has passed, and actually today, as we're speaking, the USDA just released their interim hemp regulations, which will give more clarity to farmers and to the market and to the industry as to how things are going to progress down the road. But this will open up investment dollars coming into the market. So these institutional investors are more confident that, okay, this is a legitimate industry, banking is opening up, um, there's regulations in place. And once the R&D starts happening and we start getting these inventors and innovators out there that are doing serious research as to what can be done with this plant from, again, bioplastics, composites, um, battery storage, fuel, I think over the course of the next five to 10 years, the innovation with this plant in this industry is just going to be off the charts. Absolutely. And when you really kind of are setting a standard now, we're being one of the first companies, or not, you know, the first companies, but being one of the leaders in the hemp paper market. And, and why don't you explain a little bit of some of the difficulty in printing on hemp paper? Though, you know, what, 400 years ago, 300 years ago, they were able to print on hemp paper pretty easily, but it was an art that was kind of lost over 300 years, right? Correct. So, the hemp paper is really the original paper. When paper was invented back in China, you know, that 100 BC or when it, whenever it was, hemp fiber was was part of that mix. And throughout the course of, the, like you said, 200, 300 years ago, hemp 
rags, rag paper was, was what was the common paper that was used. And they would take hemp rags and cotton and whatever else, and they would pulp those down and make paper. And that's really how all the paper was made. And hemp was a major ingredient of that for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the, the way printing progressed over the course of, let's say, the last 100 to 150 years, um, all of a sudden, here comes a timber industry, and wood starts getting used, money starts getting directed, governmental subsidy money, kind of like the petroleum industry, to really fund the timber industry and all these ancillary products that could be made um, from timber. And over the course of the last hundred years, really all the machinery in processing and mills has been geared towards using wood pulp. And all of a sudden, all these other natural fibers, whether that's cotton, jute, hemp, canap, um, they've been kind of left by the wayside. And it's unfortunate because we've been clear-cutting forests around the world for paper production. And from an environmental standpoint, we're decimating ecosystems. Wherever this happens, you clear cut forests and then you replant with GMO trees to grow for paper. I mean, nothing lives there. The soil is basically dead. It'll grow these trees, but there's no, um, it's, there's no living soil. There's no other organisms. That's, it just becomes like a dead ecosystem. And that is not good for the future of our planet. We have to restore our forests. I mean, we, we're clear cutting forests in the Amazon. So we can have industrial beef, so we can have corn and soy, and and we're spraying these crops down there with petrochemicals that will then poison the, the waterways and get into our oceans. It, it's just creating an environmental disaster. And now we can grow hemp in three to four months and these other crops and put this into our paper supply system and not have to do that. I mean, it, it, and we also know that, that growing hemp also cleans the soil. It does. It, it, it replenishes it with nutrients. Um, but but the, the hemp paper has been a lost thing and there's very little hemp paper on the market right now. We're one of the only companies and there's very little being manufactured, but I do think that that's going to change uh, as this fiber market grows over the course of the next three, five, ten years, as a paper producer and somebody who's talking to a variety of different people interested in moving this market forward, I do see a lot of opportunity in growing the paper market and being able to create papers that will compete on the level of a lot of these other papers that have been developed with with wood pulp and other materials and that are highly chemically processed. That's the thing. You get all these technical papers out there. They're, they're really chemically processed. Paper industry is a dirty industry. And right. how, how do we get away from that? I think that we can get away with it through innovation, through technology, and through really smart people getting involved to create this moving forward. Now, are you in the grow uh, business yourself? No. Uh, my my business partner, Elizabeth Knight, who I started the company with, she bought a little three-acre farm last year and grew about, oh, I don't know, a couple hundred plants this year. But it was for CBD and just kind of testing it out. We're going to probably experiment and do stuff, but we're really not in the grow market. We're really more in the marketing and promotion side of things and having our own kind of boutique little brands. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you see coming next for you and your partner? 
Well, the thing that's on the plate right now, we've got several events, but we're in the planning process for our NOCO Hemp Expo 2020, which comes up in March. And we're projecting to more than double the size of what we did this year and have over 20,000 people and 400 plus exhibitors and expanding our team to, to actually pull this event off. So that's first and foremost what we're doing is trying to make sure that we put on the, the best event possible that um, provides information not only to the industry where we all gather and and can do business, but we provide information to the consumer. It's uh, both a B2B show and a business-to-consumer show. So that's first and foremost, and we're going to continue to work on our brands, whether that's Tree Free Hemp, our paper brand, Silver Mountain Hemp, our guitar brand, One Planet Hemp. We've got a hemp store selling T-shirts and hats and posters and bags and some other Hemp items. So yeah, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that you know, prior back before, you know, 1937, before the Marijuana Tax Act in the country, the Hemp Tax Act, we literally almost 90 percent of the clothing that was manufactured prior to that was manufactured from hemp. Most people don't even know that you know our entire Revolutionary Army was clothed in hemp uniforms. So, exactly. you know, the use of hemp and, you know, the word canvas, I mean, you know, what we covered wagons with headed west, that word canvas comes from cannabis. And uh, we literally produced most of the sails, most of the ropes used in the shipping industry was all manufactured from hemp. That is correct. And then we just been, closed the door on that. Yep. Yeah, it's been part of our society for thousands of years. And unfortunately... In 1937, the Marijuana Tax Act, which really was driven by the pharmaceutical industry more than oh, anything else. And, and, and there's the other, textile industry. Yeah, and the textile. Do, you got you know. DuPont and synthetics really came on board. Um, and the, so it, was, it was DuPont and, and, uh, DuPont and William Randolph Hearst who funded Anslinger and his mm-hmm. entire you know, 30-year mission to get the UN to finally, you know, pass a resolution to ban hemp sales worldwide. But that was just to protect the paper and the textile industry. Yeah. There's a, yep, these industrial barons back in the day, uh, looking back on it, they didn't do us really any good as a current society. They've taken away a lot of opportunities, which, you know, we can't change the past. We can only create the future. And that's what we're here to do. And we're going to try to do the best that we can and bring as many people on board as possible. Well, it's it's people like you, though, Morris, that really can, you know, help change the course of our future. What do you think some of the biggest obstacles are going to be for the cannabis industry in the next three to four years? As we see it grow, there's also going to be pushbacks. What do you think the biggest pushbacks will be? But the government is still probably the biggest obstacle that there is because it's so big and complex. There's so many agencies and the communication between these agencies is not very good and they and they react slowly. So I think the government is obviously they're they're a problem. And until we get complete federal legalization of cannabis medicinal recreation of the whole plant because it is all one plant and everybody listening to this needs to realize that hemp is not you know it's not a different plant it's all cannabis hemp is you one know, flower one dozen. Right. exactly it's 
0.3% THC or less, which is an arbitrary number, which is really just a BS number. Um, when it all comes down to it, this plant can do so many things that it should be regulated by end use. And so if there was 30% THC in this plant, all those stocks uh, from that plant they shouldn't have to be destroyed. They should be able to go into the to the fiber textile market wherever they can go. By Correct. I mean, nobody's going to walk up to the side of a house and try to scrape a brick off and uh, <laughs> go off and, in a corner and smoke it. So exactly. literally, That's the plant stupid. should be used. You're absolutely right. So anyway, so that you got the government, and then tied to that is banking and being able to make sure that banking services are open to the hemp industry, just like any other industry, and they're not going to get discriminated and shut down because currently the credit card companies and banking is still an issue for this industry, even though we've signed the farm bill, it's federally legal, it's no longer on the Controlled Substances Act, um, there's still banking issues. And until those resolve, that's going to be an obstacle. The FDA needs to come in and, and clarify this market not only for the hemp supplement side for CBD and CBG and these other minor cannabinoids that are going to get popular. Um, that right, are still CBN, be hemp drugs. Exactly. Right. Um, and so, and then what does full spectrum look like? Is full spectrum going to be allowed in these hemp supplements? Will they be considered dietary supplements? Um, will it just only be a broad spectrum? So there has to be zero detectable THC. Uh, which is unfortunate. I mean, THC is a demonized cannabinoid and compound when it's so beneficial for so many things, as you well know. But no ifs, ands, or buts. We know this for a fact, and you know, U.S. government research has proven it. And you look at the, you know, the the, the research that's being done around the world, funded by our government, especially when it comes to THC and its ability to abate and uh, destroy some cancer cells and some tumor cells. We know this for a fact, but we just still argue the stupid. Yes, we do. No medicinal value. I mean, that is ludicrous. And we've known it's been ludicrous since they even passed the Marijuana Tax Act. You can look back to the 1800s, how many cannabis tinctures and medicines were out there in the 1800s through the 1920s. I mean, there's all this documented evidence that we've been using this for a medicine for yeah, Well, you can, you can look at, look at the, that the, the U.S. government's um, own patent on CBD mm -hmm. and see very clearly in the abstract what our government believed the CBD was capable of doing and the fact that you know there was medicinal purposes when you look at the abstract of the written patent application the government our government itself states unequivocally what it believes you know CBD and THC does yeah it's it's amazing how they can just play both sides of the coin. It's yeah, and play and then play stupid when asked the question. Yeah, exactly. So people just need to realize that our government's been lying to us for a long time, and they've been in collusion with big corporate giants, and that still exists. Absolutely, and, you know, organizations like yours, you know, what we have for we are better, if we are for better alternatives. Organizations like yours and putting on hemp expos the way you do gives an opportunity to educate the masses. Correct. It all comes down to education, and we're going to continue to do that 
until the, you know, I'm going to continue to do it until I'm no longer here. I'll just put it there that you way. Go. Well, you know, I like the fact that let's, let's talk a little bit about your Let's Talk Hemp. You know, I got Let's Be Blunt, but Let's Talk Hemp podcast. Uh, how can people make, give us some information about how people can, can check that out? So you can go to letstalkhemp.com, and we've got a weekly newsletter. You can sign up for that. And we, we've tried to do a somewhat consistent podcast, but as you know, fortunately you got producers and stuff, but it, trying to put together a good podcast and do it on a weekly basis, I've got so many irons in the fire and it's tough for me and my partner, Rick Trojan, who's got a, a thing called the hemp road trip. And he's been driving this bus around the country for the last five years, uh, from state to state and capital to capital and doing education and activism and talking to legislators and and anyway, we have our podcast and we bring on guests and we, similar to you, we talk about a variety of different things from textiles to legislation to policy to this and that. And we're just trying to change the cannabis conversation from, hey, cannabis isn't just medical and recreational. It's also this industrial side, this hemp side that has all these possibilities. Hemp can do this. It could do this. But people just need to be aware of it. And again, Let's Talk Hemp is really about education and putting out the correct messaging into the into the public, partnering with other events where we can help assist with programming and different panel tracks and keynotes. And we're just it's really all about educating about this plant. You know, I, I, I've been a, I was just in a meeting yesterday talking about this, but until I think this industry comes up with a trade organization that stakeholders buy into, we are so quick right now to try to put down a competitor because we want to try to get our competitive edge that we don't recognize that it's going to take all of us that rising tide lifts all boats. It's going to take all of us coming together and recognizing that some of us are going to make a little bit more money than the others, but coming together to support the industry as an industry rather than just going at this, you know, one one-offs. I think until we do that and have a viable trade organization, we're going to see you know, the industry fight among itself the way it is, trying to eke out its own little, you know. One acre of land, two acres of land, three acres of land, rather than come together and figure out that it's going to take all of us to move us forward. Without question. And I will say that the hemp industry has had an association called the Hemp Industries Association, the HIA, which has got their 26th annual conference this, coming up this weekend in Charlotte. And I'm, I'm flying out to it tomorrow, actually. But there's other hemp associations. There's uh, there's plenty of different cannabis associations, and people do buy for their own piece of the pie. Um, and and I I saw that from the get go. And coming from the music industry and seeing some of the disconnects there, and and little cliques and factions and people wanting to hold on to their own piece. I when we launched Noco, the whole thing was to bring everybody together. It's a big tent. We might not all like each other, but we can all at least get along. We may be competitors, but, you know, it's not competition. It's coopetition. We need to cooperate with each other. We need to collaborate with each other. Uh, we need to work together. And if we do that and we're all on basically on the same page, we don't all have to like each other, but at least give each other enough space to, Hey, you do your thing. You do it your way. That's fine. We're going to do our thing. Um, but let's all get along and let's not put each other down. Let's not trash each other on social media. 
uh, this divisiveness will not serve our industry well, and it will be our downfall unless we get all on the same page, like you said. Correct. Correct. Well, I can't wait to do more with you, uh, Morris. I mean, if anything we can do here, let's be blunt to help the cause. Let me know, and would love to have you back. And um, you know, maybe we can we can do another podcast where we could just really dig in deep into the different usages of hemp so that people understand the viability of this as a plant. Absolutely. I'd love to come back on and, you know, maybe you can make it out to NOCO Hemp Expo and, uh, and speak. I'd love to have when is you that? Is one that of our conferences. When is that? In March? You said? Yeah, it's the end of March, like the 27th, 28th of March in Colorado. Well, I'm working on a couple of things, and maybe we can feature you know, NOCO on uh, one of the projects that I'm about to work on. Well, I'm I'm here to collaborate. And again, I totally respect your advocacy and activism for this plant. I know that it's had a personal effect on your health. And you know, I appreciate all that you're doing on behalf of this plant. Well, we appreciate all the work that you're doing, too. And again, he's the co-founder and president of WAFBA, which is We Are For Better Alternatives. And that's, I think, what everybody needs to understand. We're all in this together. And by the time you know we blink, you know the federal government will be able to step in and try to put more constraints on us rather than open this up to making it a more viable and vibrant industry that it should be. And, uh, you know, it's people like you out there on the ground in, in the trenches every single day, Morris, that, uh, need to be, you know, lauded and need to be, you know, uh, uh, touted so that people understand that there's work being done that needs support. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. And yep, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I think if all of us continue on this mission to end prohibition, then in the end, uh, our species could have a chance. Absolutely. Well, we're, well, you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with my tongue. Today's guest again, Morris Beagle, who's out there in the trenches every day trying to ensure and make people understand the virtues of the hemp industry. It's way bigger than most think. And I'm glad that there are guys like you out there really, 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 really just just, just blowing that horn at the loudest level to make us understand. So, Morris, thanks for being a part of us today. And make sure you tune into another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. 